Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm stand-up comedian James Mullinger and the co-founder of Edit Magazine. This is Mullinger Meets Canadians, the podcast where we meet Canadians who are making waves on the world stage. Today I'm on my way to Enfield, Nova Scotia to meet iconic East Coast hip-hop artist and record producer Luke Boyd, better known by his stage name, Classified. He's collaborated with everyone from Snoop Dogg to Buck 65, Rhea May to David Miles. His song, In a Ninja, featuring Miles, is one of the biggest rap singles in the history of Canadian music. Dozens of his singles have earned gold and platinum status, and he's been nominated for and won countless awards, including Junos, Much Music Video Awards, and ECMAs. In addition to all this, he created a production label, Half-Life Records, which is where I'm headed to meet him right now. Luke started out with a career in IT before getting laid off in 2003. He took that as an opportunity to fully commit to his first love, hip-hop. Despite his colossal global success, he has always remained close to his lifelong friends and life on the East Coast. He also uses his platform to speak out on pressing issues like sexual assault, as seen in his song Powerless. Born and raised in small-town Nova Scotia, he is the perfect representation of just how much an Atlantic Canadian can achieve on an international scale. A journey that was documented with incredible pathos and intelligence in his best-selling memoir, Off the Beaten Path. I can't wait to learn more about his rise to fame, how he's managed to balance his career and home life, and what inspires the genius behind the music. Come on in, bud. Thank you very much. Wow, this is amazing. This is literally... Uh, This is where I spend all my time. This is where the magic happens. This is it, yeah. Some people, it's the bedroom, not me. Oh, yeah. This is amazing. So literally, I mean, you, 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 you work here, you live here, you've got everything you need here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's kind of the way I want it was. Just even with the kids now, try yeah. to stay close to home as I can. And I just work on my own hours anyway. So right. if I get an idea, I can run out here, do something, run back in, have some lunch, help the kids with homework, whatever it is. And It's the, it's the dream. I mean, it's basically, the, it's the artist and father's dream. Oh, I'd like to think so, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Have a seat, Oh, well, thank you very much. Oh, I love it. Um, so was this always part of the plan to build a studio in the house, like, did you know that you were going to do that? It was, but it, it more so started as a necessity of, you know, even when I was a young kid, you know, I remember I was 15, 16, I was trying to save up to go to a real recording studio. And my dad, who was always in band, said, go buy a four track, you know, which in the old days is like a home, a home studio or whatever. So he convinced me to do that. And that's kind of what it started from was, you know, me and my four track in my closet. Every album I've ever did has been recorded at my own home. And, you know, it's kind of elevated from sitting in the bedroom closet to building something like this, but it's always been that process of me on my own time, not watching a clock, going, shit, I'm running out of time, I gotta do this, you know what I mean? Right. So, and then, yeah, not having to have that thing where you have an idea and then you're like, right, I need to book studio time. Exactly. And then you're wait for the next day and then the ideas and what you thought it was. And, you know, about 15 years ago, I did one or two songs. I went to a real studio because I was like, let me just go do this. And I didn't like it at all. And it was like, okay. 
So when we built the house, I was like, the wife, she got to handle the house. And I was like, I'll just focus on the studio. You can do whatever you want with the house. And this is kind of my little man cave, so. Oh, well, it's, I mean, it's genius. And as you say, I mean, to have that quality of life, to be around for your daughters, to be present all the time, and to not have to go off to do stuff. I mean, where do you think you got that understanding of that balance in life from? I don't know if it was something that that happened on purpose or like I said it was just I was always doing it in my own bedroom studio and right. I got so used to that process that when we built the house I just wanted to make a better version of the closet studio. Amazing. Yeah. And, and do you think that kind of DIY approach that you've always had of like you know not waiting for something to happen and making it happen your, your, yourself, is yeah, yeah. that something that you got from your parents do you think? Or? I think so like just you know even being like in grade six, I wanted a dirt bike, and, you know, asking my dad, can you get me one? No, no, you go mow lawns and pay for it yourself, you know what I mean? And that's just one story I always remember, and that's kind of taught me, like, if I want something, I got to do it myself. And, and just the do-it-yourself, especially being an artist, you know, from Nova Scotia, a hip-hop artist, you have to do it yourself. There's no industry of, for hip-hop artists in Nova Scotia that's like, we'll sign you and we'll do this and this. It was like... Okay, I'll figure out how to make posters, start posting up, figure out how to make even the album covers, you know, in the early days and, and then doing it myself. So, and today now, like music videos, me and my brother shoot all our music videos where before we'd have to go to Toronto, spend 15, 20 grand a video. Right. Now he's got the gear. We shoot a video, like we shot a video two days ago. It cost us 30 bucks to buy a pizza. Right. You know, like it costs <laughs> nothing to make the videos, yeah. but it takes a lot more creativity. It takes a lot more duct tape, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you just got to get creative and, and figure out how to do stuff. But for me, like, that's the payoff. I love being able to do stuff ourselves, and again, on our own time. It's yeah. not like we got to be somewhere because it's scheduled. It's like we do stuff when we want to, and, and we have fun doing it. And it must, I mean, it's a lot more graft, of course, but then you do also then have complete control. I mean, no one... Everything, exactly. Yeah. And, like, the old days, you'd shoot a video, whatever you shot that day, that was your video. Now we can shoot something. If we don't like it, we'll go shoot it again the next day. And mm -hmm. having that freedom has really gave us... It gave me, like, just confidence to be able to try things. Because if it doesn't work, we'll just do it again. Right. Where before it was like, let me just stay in my comfort zone because we can't afford to do this again, you know, so... <laughs> It's interesting to me, though, how um, you've developed this attitude where you realise that you could go out there and make shit happen, whereas so many people in any kind of performing arts field are kind of waiting for something to happen, waiting for a phone to ring. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and you, from the get-go, went out there and made it happen. Like, like, do you think there was... A, was there a moment, do you think, that uh, something that your parents said or did that gave you this, this drive? I don't know. I don't know if it was like one of the, like, I'm an antsy kid. Right. I can't sit around and just do nothing. Like, I'm constantly, like, even my wife will tell me today, like, I can't just sit around and watch TV. Like, I got to get up and do something. And, yeah. you know, so I think that attitude or that trait in me is a big driver because it's like, just keep doing, keep preparing for tomorrow. It's kind of like my mind frame is like, enjoy today, but prepare for tomorrow. So it's like, I'm always doing something that's, preparing for the future. Yes, yeah, So, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's just that antsiness in me. And just realizing, like, when I was a kid, sending out demos to record labels and getting the rejection letters, like, hey, thanks for the demo classified, but we're going to, you know, not do it and not put the record out. So I just did it myself. And, right. and it just it was small steps like that that just kept happening. That it was like, okay, I guess... You know, a lot of help on the way, but a lot of it was just me figuring out it as I go. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I mean, what do you think in your teenage years, when was the point that you realized that hip-hop was your passion and calling in life? Um, 
I, I don't know, because I was still the guy that was, you know, even I was the successful rap guy in high school. Right. That didn't mean anything. I was just the only rap guy in high school. <laughs> Rapped at the school dances, or the, the talent show, stuff like that. Yeah. But I always had it in my mind, like, there's no, like, a, I'm a real person. Like, there's no rappers from, at this point, Canada. Right. Making a real living besides maybe Maestro Fresh West and Cardinal. Yeah. Literally two people from Toronto, no one from the East Coast. So I always had it in my mind, like, I enjoy doing this. I like that I have an identity now. Like, I think that was a big thing, like, mm. coming up as a hockey player and every kid in Canada played hockey at one point. But when I started doing music, it was kind of my identity in school. So I think that was kind of an excitement for me as well. Was there a track or an artist that you listened to that went, wow, this is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, well, the first rap song I heard was Run DMC's Tricky, right. which was, you know, I was 12 years old. It just caught me off guard. I don't know if it was like the language, the attitude, or just hearing the stories, stories from a certain world that I knew nothing about that I was like, this is, you know, interesting to me. And, and I was always into music because my dad was always playing music, but to hear hip hop, it was like a whole different world. Yeah. And it was easy to try it. It wasn't like I had to go learn guitar for six months or drums or something. It was just like sit down, make some words rhyme. And, Amazing. you know, it sucked, yeah. but it felt like I was doing something, you know what I mean? And yeah. we could record our little demos in the basement and, you know, just that alone. But I don't know if there was one song, I'd say probably like Nas's album, Illmatic. That was yeah. a big album for me that really made me not just being like a dumb young kid, like, oh, I love rap, but then like really focusing on and analyzing lyrics and being like, oh, this is right. this is more than what I thought it was, you know what I mean? And that really brought me into like a new world of that and, and the excitement of it. Amazing. I mean, I mean, those first nine albums when you were you know, doing it all yourself, uh, self-releasing it, as you said, doing the artwork, like, was it fun or was it? All fun. Right, it was, all yeah? Fun. Like, I wouldn't have did it because I never did this thinking, this is going to be my job, I'm going to be a successful rapper from Enfield. Like, <laughs> it's just, it was never in my mind. It was always like, even when I was doing it, I was still, okay, I'm graduating this year. I got to go to college or university, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I found, I don't know if you remember Compu College oh for a yeah, few years you. ago. Went to them. I knew some friends that were going there and I was like, look, I wanted to, I wanted to be like a studio engineer. That was kind of my plan was like, you know, I can engineer other people's records and stuff like that. And Compu College said they have a perfect course for introduction to computers, which was bullshit. <laughs> I just learned how to type and I got really good at typing, but that's pretty much all I got out of this place. But from there, I also got an internship with uh, Alliant, which was like MT&T back in the day. So I got a nice little job at 21 out of, right out of this school because I was still thinking I'm not going to make it as a rapper. Right. But then I got laid off when I was 21, so I was like, okay, I got a year of unemployment. I know my bills are paid, so I can just go hire that music. And, you know, once that unemployment runs out, if I'm still paying my bills, keep going. If I'm not, then just make music, like, as a hobby, a fun thing. And never went back to work since that, and that was 17 years ago, 16 years ago. So. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, what was there a moment after that that you realized that you were going to be able to... Support? Yeah. Um, Cause that's a big I moment. remember at one point I had 5,000 bucks in the bank and I was like, shit, this is it. I made it, like, you know, I'm good. Cause yeah. you know, when you're young, six months is forever. So yeah. it's like, I got five grand, I can pay my rent for six months. But it just kept growing from that to like, oh shit, I got a hundred grand in the bank. Let mm -hmm. me invest that now to, oh, I'm doing a tour and I got another, oh shit. Now I'm like, you know, I got investments here, you know, buying some old properties, renting those out, just trying to be smart with it, because yeah. still at 43, I'm still like, this rap thing can't last much longer, you know what I mean? So I'm still trying to plan, but... No, I don't think there was one point where I was like, 
wow, I did it. You know, the money is made. I'm safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? But just over the years, when I think about it and just look back at everything that I, you know, pre-planned and planned out as we were coming up, mm. I can look back and go, no, like, I'm good now. Like, yeah. I'm a rapper. Yeah. I made it as a rapper in Nova Scotia. And, you know, I'm raising my kids. I've taken my kids around the world off of hip-hop music, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible feeling for an artist to know that you are feeding a family, doing that, the thing that, you love. That's probably the, the moment when I realised it. When I had kids and I was signing my kids up for basketball, right. paying for that and taking them to Costa Rica and to go to a show, but I was, you know, they brought all my kids with me. They paid for all the kids to come. and Things like that were like, shit, I'm doing this, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah those are the moments with the kids when you realise my kids are benefit, benefiting off of this now. Right. And that's the greatest gift you can give them Straight and to up. yourself. Yeah. yeah. There must be some uh, career highlight moments, like winning a Juno, where you kind of go, well, this is real now. Like, it, it's real when you are... Yeah, yeah, and now, see, like, the Juno was cool, and I was super excited about it, but those moments for me aren't like, oh, it's real now, you know right. what I mean? Those are great for me because it is the industry that, well, even for me, I felt like I had a hard time getting into. I had a hard time making people take me serious for what I was doing, where I was coming from. But the moments that, you know, with the kids and stuff, like that's the ones where I'm like, shit, I'm doing this, more so than the Juno stuff. Right. No, it's beautiful. And I mean, day to day, you obviously clearly still love everything that you do, but family is clearly of equal importance. Oh, yeah, 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 no, 100%. Like I still, you know, I like to sit down and make a beat, you mm. know what I mean, write a rhyme here and there. It's not as heavy as what I used to do, because before it'd be like, wake up, but my mind frame was different too. Back then it was like, I gotta do this. I gotta make this work. This is my year, right. you know, my extended year to keep this going. But now I'm at a comfortable spot where I can kind of wake up and go, maybe I'll go to the studio today. Maybe I'll take Kim out or do something or take the dogs out and just, you know what I mean? A little bit more relaxed now where I know like, okay, I can be comfortable for a little bit that yeah. it's not wake up, hustle, hustle, hustle. Right. Which is a nice feeling. It's great to get to that point. But it's also that point where you get to and realize, like, it is the journey. It's not getting to a point. It's this whole come up for the last 20 years and, and just the ups and downs, more so a lot of ups, and just having those moments with friends, families, kids, whatever it is, and looking back and going like, yeah, that, that was it. That was us winning right there was all the stuff we did on the come up. Yeah, that's beautiful. Do you have any favorite venues to perform in around the world? Are there places that, that you go and you just feel the most electric? London. Oh, London, yeah. Ontario, for me, I don't know why. Uh, we used to go there, there was a place called the Embassy Hotel. And this was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago now. We, you know, still on the come up, still grinding it out. Yeah. But those were the, those shows were just crazy. Like, that was my first time experiencing 700,000 people in a club. You know, me flying somewhere, you know, not playing in the Maritimes, yeah. and then people coming up, showing so much support, and just, and it's the same thing. Like, yeah. London's probably my, my best city in the in the country. London, Nelson, BC, which is a little, I don't know if you know Nelson, BC. No, no, no I know of it. But yeah, 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 it's yeah, just yeah. a small little yeah. hippie town in the, in the mountains of BC. First time we went there, I was just, we were just driving through these crazy mountains, almost falling off the cliff. I'm like, we're dying. Where are we going right now? We pull into this like hippie town of like 10,000 people and just like the most beautiful spot and just like the energy from people doing shows there was just very unexpected. So yeah. that, that place always stands out to me. That's nice. And what about song-wise? Like, is there a song that you know when you play it, it's going to just bring the house down? My favorite's Three Foot Tall. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Like, Three Foot Tall, which was like a, a hit song, a, a platinum record, yeah. but it's still, 
to me on some hip hop shit, right. which is like the stuff I grew up, you know, Inner Ninja always goes off, Oh Canada always goes off, but there's themes and there's reasons why those are hit songs. Right. Three Foot Tall is me just rapping. Right. You know what I mean? A hard 808 beat with a cool sample. And like, that's my, that's my passion right there is those type of tracks. So the fact that song's not as big as Inner Ninja or Oh Canada, mm or good news or whatever it is, yeah. it's still, you put that in a show and the energy just goes up. So yeah, that was a fun one. That's beautiful. And of course, we've, uh, I finished reading your amazing book last night, Thank which you, is Thank uh, you. an incredible read, uh, entertaining, uh, incredibly honest and-, and Very and, honest. Yeah. Maybe a little bit too much information <laughs> on some things, but I was like, that's how I make my music a lot of time. And it's weird with that, because we started writing it like two years ago. Yeah. And now it's finally out. Right. And you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's something brand new for me. So it's exciting. So did COVID lockdown make it easier to finish it? COVID made it confusing. Right. We changed a bunch of shit. Like we had the first couple chapters done before COVID hit mm. and then COVID hit. And as we were writing, I kept saying little things about COVID like, oh, this is happening. I guess we're locking down. And when I finished the book, I went through with the, the publisher. I was like, man, take all the COVID shit out. Like, I just don't want I don't want it to be stuck in a world of COVID life. Right. Like everything brings you back to this COVID time. Yeah. And it just kind of brought down the story. Every time we'd get into something, they'd be like, well, I got to go uh, COVID this or whatever it was. So, yeah. you know, I tried to keep that out of as much as I could. Even the mass shooting that happened in Nova Scotia, like yeah. that was something that happened when we were writing that. Mm. And that was, yeah. you know, that was next level compared to COVID. That was, you know, I wanted to have that in there because it did hit very close to home. Mm. You know, people I know and stuff. So, yeah, it was a, a weird two years to be to be working on it but sure. you know we adjusted it as we were going and and stuff that i wanted to put out to the world was the stuff i put in it yeah it's smart i mean again the last thing you want to do is is to date something exactly. like in, in five ten years who wants to i mean now we're i'm hoping the exactly i'm yeah. hoping in next year or two years we're gonna be like man remember covid that was crazy <laughs> yeah. two years like that you know what yeah. i mean and that's kind of why i left it out was just i'm hoping that's where we're going to be at was it quite an emotional thing writing it while we're in lockdown when obviously even though you have your creating space here you are at your most alive standing on a stage in front of thousands of fans and suddenly uh, you can't do that and even though obviously we all love being at home with our families that other part of our lives when that gets very important yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very important and, and when that gets taken away did, did, did it become quite emotional writing about these experiences um not so much yeah the way you say that it should have like kind of reflected yeah. back and there was those moments I was like man i can't wait to get back and do this yeah but like with covid it was more so i don't know how to explain it i've never had anxiety before mm. don't know what it feels like my brother gets it all the time tries to explain to me i've never it's never crossed my mind i have anxiety now mm. you know like i get worked up about stuff like that i gotta do and stuff that never happened before and i mm. think that's something to do with just sitting still so long yeah not having something just not having something to look forward to yeah it's a big thing for me like if i know like right now we got the supernova celebration show coming up november 20th so i'm looking forward to that i'm yeah. preparing for that but when we didn't have anything for like a year it was wake up what do we do everything's closed down except for the liquor store yeah. okay let's you yeah. know what i mean like there's so much backwards shit about covid that i'm not even gonna get into that but yeah. that was the mind frame and i'm sure it's the mind frame for a lot of people yeah. young people who weren't working getting their serve checks and going yeah can't go on trips can't go with my friends can't do this so i'm gonna buy some liquor buy whatever it is that gets me through this day and yeah it's true you know i i definitely felt the effects of that of just mm. you know that was the excitement it was like oh when, when are we gonna have some drinks yeah I mean, it was the same, and, and, and I mean, I guess, especially when you are someone that has always 
gone out and, and made things happen yourself, to suddenly feel powerless. And, and then the, the, the disappointments, when it was almost worse when things were coming back and you would have a date for something and then suddenly it would be an outbreak. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's worse now and we're up and we're down. And, and that's the thing, it's just the ups and downs of it. Mm. You know, I'd like to think myself like I'm pretty sturdy where I'm at with my job, my family. You know, I kind of feel like I got my shit together. Mm. But for people who are in a worse spot than that, I can only imagine what like, some of them people are going through and how hard that must be. And like, that's the scary thing to me. Like. COVID obviously is real and, you know, it's a real thing, but I'm way more worried about the generation that just, well, I seen something the other day, like 20, people born in the last two years, their IQ is like 20 points down because they don't see faces. They don't see people. There's no interaction for these kids who are zero to two years old or whatever. Right. That's what scares me, man, stuff like that. Yeah, true. It's this kind of ongoing knock-on effect that we're going to see for decades and possibly centuries to come from this time. So in terms of career highlights, what are the things that, that kind of stood out to you while you were writing the book that you kind of thought, yeah, that was, that was special? Um, if I go to like show aspects, there was opening up for Wu-Tang Clan in Quebec for like 100,000 people. That was just, we've done big shows. Like to me, a big show was 10 to 20,000 people. Yeah. And then to do 100,000 people where you can't even see the back of the crowd, that was crazy. Um, Boonstock. This is stuff I mentioned in the book too, but yeah. Boonstock Open BC. It's just a wicked music festival. Sun going down. Like moments like that are just moments that hit me. Even this summer, we did a Calgary Stampede. We were the first show of the Stampede after COVID, everything opening. So it was like a little bit nervous. Didn't yeah. do a show in a year and a half. So I was yeah. not even a little bit nervous. I was really nervous. Like yeah. I was just like, is this gonna feel like it used to feel? Am I yeah. gonna know what to do? And that, that show was magical. It was like we went out, 3,000 people, just so happy to be out around people. Yeah. Our last song, all of a sudden fireworks go off for the last song. Just, you know, things like yeah. that. Moments that are like, this shit isn't planned, but the universe is working in our favor. So yeah. like, things like that are things that stand out to me. Um, it almost makes a year and a half of lockdown worth it to have a moment I, like that. that I mean, I was got... like, I was standing there, the last chorus was going, I'm looking at the crowd fireworks start going off as the sun's going down and I'm like, <laughs> kind of looking at the band like you, you, you can't pray for this shit like this just happens so. yeah um and then like simple things like even being on the tour bus and my kids and my wife flying up for three days mm. on the bus and like i got pictures of that and even watching old videos of that now them just running around the bus and stuff that we'll probably never do again because they're older now and, right. you know what i mean um things like that yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, what was the feeling like when, before you went on stage at the Calgary Stampede? Like, did you feel... Nervous. Yeah. That whole anxiety thing. Like, I was sitting right. with my brother backstage going, like, man, like, is this anxiety? Like, I feel like there's a, someone punched me in the gut. Like, you were worried that maybe like, you'd forgotten how to do it? Like, like what, what if the switch didn't click? Yeah, like, what yeah. if I went out and just started forgetting words or just stumbling over my words or the song ends and I started going on a COVID rant or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just little things that I was like, man, it's been a while and the world is very different right now. Yeah. But as soon as I went on and said one thing, it was just like riding a bike. Right. It's like, boom. And then that feeling came back of, like, I love this shit. Like, yeah. this is why I do this. You know what I mean? So. That's beautiful. And sorry, I cut you off. You were going to say something else. Uh, was there another highlight? That, um, um, I mean, I lo one of the stories I, I loved in the book and found fascinating was when you were um, opening up for... Was it, was it Ludacris you were opening up for? Ludacris, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and you were just ripping the roof off every night and they were like, can you bring the show down a bit? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, and I, just, I, I thought it was such a, a fascinating 
industry thing that no yeah. one would think that that would... I didn't think it was a thing. I remember, like, our tour manager came over and just said, hey, you know, Ludacris Management wants you guys to kind of settle down. And I was confused at first. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. are we too excited? Like, I didn't think they were saying it as, the show is too good, calm down. I thought we were doing something wrong. Like, and he's like, no, no, like, they just don't want it to be that excited before Ludacris goes out. And I was, like, literally, like, what? Like, this is a thing? Like, people do this? And I'm sure it wasn't a ludicrous thing. I said that in the book, too. Right. I'm sure it was a management thing. But that just, you know, one of those things that kind of, like, hit you and go, okay, this is a real thing in the industry that people, you know, yeah. do stuff like this and plan plan for things like this. But but you will never not give 110%. Never. I, so, I don't even yeah. know how to. Sometimes I try not to because I find when I go on stage and I perform, I rap. I rap in a tone on my albums and then I go on stage and it's a higher tone because I'm more excited, I'm yelling. To me, it's funner that way to perform, but it doesn't sound as good. So I'm constantly in my head when I'm going out, like, just keep it cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you go off, but like, yeah, I, I can't turn that off. Like, to me, that is what makes our stage show. It's just that thing that clicks in you or yeah. snaps when you go and boom, it's game time. Yeah. You know, well, I'm a competitive person, so it's hard to turn that off. Yeah, and, and your excitability and passion is what the crowd, A, wants, and B, is feeding off. 100%. Like, I know when I go to a show and I see an artist and they come out and they're Joe Cool and they're just like, hey, what's up, yeah. Cincinnati, whatever it is, and it's like, yeah, this is cool. But when I see an artist come out and they're like, you ready to, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, this guy loves what he's yeah. doing, you know what I mean? Sure. He's passionate about this, and I think that makes the crowd get more into it. Oh, definitely. How, how do you think your performing style has changed or indeed evolved over the two decades? Uh, more to a show. Like, before it would be like, you know, here's our five songs we're doing. Hit play, let's do the first song, okay, second song, okay. Now it's like, we try to really put a show together. So it's like one song might end, we'll say something, the DJ will scratch something, the drummer will do something. It's, it's just more of a, more of a performance. Yeah. And, it, and it's even like people who don't know my music, I find, can come to the show and even if they don't know any of the songs, they can still enjoy the performance because you know, we'll, we'll break it down and we'll say some real shit. We'll do Powerless, which is, you know, a song about missing indigenous women. It's about child abuse. And I find every show we do that, a lot of people in the crowd don't know it, but it's like a standing ovation moment because it's like, oh man, like finally people are talking about this and, and, and speaking about it. And then we'll throw on like my favorite hip hop songs from the last 30 years. And we'll go through that. And people are hearing all these old songs that they're like, oh, this one. and. Yeah. You know, so it's a really party atmosphere where, you know, one minute we're up here, one minute we're super chill, one minute we're smoking some weed over here, having some drinks over here. And nice. I, I want people to feel like whether we're on stage or not, we'd still be in the crowd doing the same shit, hanging out with them, doing the same thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, th that feeling's definitely there. And what about for writing? Like, has your writing style changed from, from yeah. when you... Yeah. How do you... know? because you used to be just like, I'm dope and I'm bad on the mic and I'm better than you. Like, that was, to me, when I came up, that was hip-hop. It was right. the, the competitive nature of... Because that's when hip-hop started. Two MCs on stage battling for, to have the microphone. Um, but as I got older and started writing songs, I think the first song I wrote that really made me realize it was a song called All About You. And it was a song that, like, people still to this day will hit me up about. They get tattoos of it. And it's a song just about, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on in the world, but make sure you're happy. Don't worry about making everybody else's vision of what you should be to make them happy. Make sure you're happy yourself. And just the outpouring of, like, messages I got from people after putting that song out, that's why I wrote Powerless. That's why I wrote Good News. And just songs that are like, I want to write songs that people hear it and go, shit. 
he feels like I feel, or, you know, I'm not alone and I'm going through that too. And, and those are the ones that last forever. Like those are the ones, like I said, all will use 13, 14 years old. And I still probably get more messages about that song than any song in my catalog. Wow. And I think, I mean, there's, there's so many inspirational things in the book as well that you're going to be getting tons of uh, messages about that. Just, I, I find that the book also serves as almost a guide to successful and healthy living. Yeah, it, maybe, it, yeah, it, because it, like, you yeah. know, in the book, like, I'm, like, I was never a hard drugs guy. Mm. You know, I smoked my weed, mm. a little bit of shrooms here and there, <laughs> have my fun with liquor, but, yeah. you know what I mean? Just because I know I'm an addictive person. Right. If I do a line of coke and I love that, I'm probably doing that line of coke every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I just never did it because right. I'm either gonna love it or I'm gonna hate it. Yeah. Either way, it's not gonna work out good. So, Smart. you know, I have friends that do it, but they don't have addictive personalities. They can handle it and stuff, but I know how I am. So that's just something I've always kept out of my life. And, mm. and just even with my wife and just my relationship with her and, you know, yeah. knowing her from high schools and, and, you know, dating her, marrying her, and not like out on the road being a yeah a loose cannon, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's kept me in check like that, which yeah. is, I definitely wouldn't last this long if I wasn't <clears throat> with her. Yeah. Because she's kept me, kept me healthy, made sure I'm checking myself and, and looking after myself. That's beautiful. And like I said, I mean, that's one of the things that shines through in the book is that you can have an incredible fun life but uh, be an amazing dad and husband at the same time. I like to think so, yeah, man. And uh, that's what I mean. I find, like, you don't hear a lot of biographies, especially from music artists. Like, that's all I read is biographies. 99% right. of them, it's like, here's his drug problem. Yeah. You know, here's his wife's gone, second, third wife. And, like, I wrote songs about that in my early career. It's like, I'm not trying to be, like, every rock star beaten down like a stock car. It seemed like a cool rhyme when I wrote it, but it's got <laughs> whack now. But, but like, I've always had that in my head, like, I want to do this, but I'm not going to do it the way everybody else did it. Right. Well, job done, mate. Thank you, man. <laughs> Sweet. Thank you for listening to Mullinger Meets Canadians. If you like greatness, creativity, being inspired, laughing, or just love Canada as much as I do, then this is the podcast for you. So please do subscribe and review the show now. Be sure to follow Classified on Twitter and Facebook at Classified and Instagram at Classified Hip Hop. Go to his website, classifiedofficial.com, for upcoming tour dates, including VIP packages, and to pre-order his much-anticipated latest album, Retrospected. To read Jennifer Wood's in-depth interview with him in Edit Magazine, go to maritimeedit.com, and I will see you next time. This has been a Podstarter production. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.